All right. Hello. Let's see if we, yep, looks like we're good. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Critical Q&A Live Edition. This is Critical Q&A number 376. <laughs> A lot of questions answered. Hey, everybody. Hey, critics out there. I am very happy that you are joining me for this live episode. And this is a Q&A show. Now, this is not the call-in show, so you can't call me, but you leave any questions you might have for me in the comments section. And in fact, let's go ahead and uh, turn that on so y'all can see. Yes, there we go. Hey, hey, hun. Hello out over there in the UK. Happy to be joined by y'all. Uh, yes. Okay, good. Um Oh, wow. Getting right to it. Okay, good. Yes, glad that you guys can uh, catch me live. I'm just going to give a couple uh, seconds here for folks to uh, come on board because I know the notice just went out. I am curious, by the way, if you guys have any ideas or suggestions for me, go ahead and leave it here in the comments or write me or whatever. Let me know how I might better inform people that this is happening. Um, because I, um, I didn't decide to do the live show until yesterday, so I didn't have, like, days of prep. Maybe I should. Maybe I should actually schedule it out better. Uh, I try to do them, like, once every four or five shows. I try to, you know, let three shows or four shows go and then do a live show and then do, you know, four pre-recorded. Um, but I'm not really adamant about it uh, all the time. Maybe I should be. Should it be a regularly scheduled thing or... Um, or when I announce it, is there some way you guys might uh, want to be notified about it? Because I've alternately tweeted about it, put it on Facebook, um, put it in the um, on my channel on the on the little um, community tab, and uh, I'll put a little notice there sometimes. And and people, you know, ah, I don't know, I don't ever see it there, I don't look there, that kind of thing. So anyway, enough of that housekeeping nonsense. But that's. Uh, just something I have a question about, so I thought I would throw that out there for you guys. Um, also, was wondering, I'm, I'm really kind of digging this whole uh, Chris Shelton's critics out there as you guys, my, my, my supporters, the people who like to watch my shows and, and follow me here. And I'm wondering whether I should make a shirt or a, a, a design or something you all can get if you'd be interested in that. Um, you know, I am a, a critic of... Chris Sheltner. I'm one of Chris Shelton's critics or something like that. Uh, I don't know if that would be uh, something y'all would want to want to have, but I'll uh, I'll throw that out there. Um, okay, so we're getting some questions coming in, and this is a Q&A show, so I think we should go ahead and get to it. And by the way, um, you can super chat in the comments if you put a, you know, some support in there as well. I will try to get right to those questions because, you know, for obvious reasons. All right, so, uh, <laughs> yes, the Chris Shelton's critics, there's a, there's a good cult to join. Um, okay, so Raymond asked, uh, right from the get-go here, what do you think about Biden's actions to tackle the climate crisis we are in? I approve of Biden's actions because they are actions. At least he's doing something rather than nothing. Um, and he's not in climate denial. He's not in some uh, headspace where he pushes back on this or says that we are not experiencing man-made climate change. And that's, you know, frankly, uh, refreshing for the United States. We have been long mired in uh, capitalistic selfishness and greed and profit-making over uh, compassion and uh, humanity. 
And I think that um, that has infected all of us to one degree or another, sort of corrupted our thinking here in the U.S. We are incredibly overly individualistic here is my opinion, my opinion on that. And I think that uh, we could be better and do better at community and at understanding that there is a global community out there that relies very much on us and uh, the, United, the United States and the, and the Northern Hemisphere. Um, and we need to fill those shoes and, and fulfill that responsibility and lead the way, not keep complaining and moaning and you know, denying that this is a problem. It's very clearly a problem. And now it's in everybody's face uh, with flooding and the droughts and the rivers drying up and the heat all around the world. Uh, people are now cluing in that this is real. Um, and so, frankly, Biden's actions or the actions of our entire government, because let us not fall into the logical, fallacious trap that it's all on the president of the United States. That is not and never has been the case. We need our entire government on board to deal with this problem, and we do not have that. And that is a problem, um, and it's a reflection of how divided our country is and the various opinions and vested interests in, um, again, profit over people. So um, that's my quick take on that, uh, my little soapboxing on that, but that's, uh, that's my initial answer for you there. Uh, yeah, okay, let's see what else uh, we've got coming in here. And again, go ahead and ask me anything you want. I'll probably answer. <laughs> I'm foolish enough that I'll probably answer it. Um, okay, let's see what we got here. Um, da, 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 da. Oh, Gerroar, okay. I uh, started a new job. Okay, I was wondering where you had uh, gone off to. So happy to see you in the comments here, all my usual suspects. Um, okay, question from Salford. Did Hubbard consider any other names for Scientology? Why do you think he settled on that name? You know, it's interesting. Hubbard referred to Scientology uh, much earlier in time. He used that word, or I saw a, a reference to it. Um, it's not actually a word that he invented, or if he did, he invented it. Um, there's another, uh, there was a German invention of that word separately. I don't remember all the background on that, but that didn't have anything to do with Hubbard. And Hubbard may or may not have ever heard that. It was in a German textbook, you know, in Germany. I doubt that he did. Um, but, you know, putting together skio and ology as root words of, you know, study of knowledge or study of certainty is certainly, um, you know, not a, a brainiac move. And almost anybody could do that. So I know that Hubbard um, possibly came up with the word as early as 1938. And he needed to have something to replace Dianetics, because um, Dianetics was taken from him. It was uh, the, the copyright. He lost the rights to the word uh, when he had to make an agreement in the second bailout in 1951 in uh, Wichita, Kansas. Uh, a, a millionaire out there, um, Don Purcell, bailed Hubbard out. And part of the agreement of that was that the rights for Dianetics transferred to him and he was funding and sort of staking Hubbard. And uh, Hubbard quickly turned on him and took off, but he no longer had the rights to the word Dianetics. And so he had to come up with a new thing really fast. And that's when you first start seeing hints of Scientology. The word first appears in the Scientology canon in late 1951, I believe, 
And uh, I think there was a lecture where he drops that word. And then it becomes a thing in 1952. So that's, that's uh, <clears throat> excuse me, what I remember of that off the top of my head. Uh, okay, let's go down the line here. Um, in terms of also, just in terms of answering the question, Ryan, of why do I think he settled on that name? I don't know, probably because it was convenient and because it pushed in the direction of something Hubbard had said many years earlier about starting a religion and that being easy money or the way to make a quick buck, right? If you really want the money, start a religion. I, I have no doubt that Hubbard actually said that. There were two or three accounts of that from uh, 1940s. So, um, so it was probably just something he had in, in, the, in the wheelhouse and he was ready to, to, to throw it out there. And again, he couldn't use um, the term Dianetics, so he had to come up with something else really quick. Sorry, I'm just going to lower the sound on my phone there. Didn't mean for that to interrupt. All right. Um, so, <laughs> Shimoda, that's a funny question. You wake up tomorrow and find yourself ruler of the entire world somehow. What's the first thing you do? Um... Wow. Well, the first thing I would do is I would get everybody on board with the climate change problem because that's the most existential threat we face as a species and, and uh, as our, and our entire ecosystem is, uh, is very, very, very threatened by that whole thing. So anything and everything I could do to halt the advance of that and, uh, and or you know, try to invent or uh, devise technology to reverse it would be top of the list. Uh, absolutely top of the list. That's existential for human beings um, and for our, our future. So that would be the first thing. Um, reforming education would probably be a big uh, top uh, tier item for me as well. I'm very concerned about, you know, the, the short-term thinking that, that people are naturally prone to. And I'd love to be able to teach some kind of uh, thing that, you know, might help people with critical thinking, the discipline of that, right? Maybe somehow figure that out. That might be kind of fun to, uh, to have a problem to solve. And otherwise, I would uh, figure out how to get myself out of that job as quickly as possible because <laughs> I do not want to rule the world uh, at all. Uh, not my thing. Uh, so... Yeah, those are right. That's my that's my off the cuff answer. There uh, is climate change and education, because um, I want you know because I trust people. I, I'm not I'm an optimist. I want people to get on with their lives and do the best they can with them. And I know that you know we are inherently very very flawed creatures who just can't help but make every mistake under the sun, moon, and stars, and and pat ourselves on the back for doing so. Uh, so there's no really getting around that. So instead, just try to mitigate the damage that we cause and try to help people think in longer term consequences and, you know, think through the unintended consequences of their actions. Because generally speaking, um, you know, just to say this, uh, you know, the, the, the world, the, the worst things that happen in the world generally happen out of the best of intentions. It's not a bunch of evil people trying to destroy the world that causes so much pain and suffering. It's, it's really people who have the best of intentions, uh, so many times at least. Not all the time, of course. And there are evil people, and they are trying to destroy things. But, uh, and there are people who want to watch the world burn, and some of them happen to rule countries, and that's quite upsetting. 
So if there would be anything I could do to mitigate or or help that situation out, I might I might work on that as well as the ruler of the world. Uh, uh, but again, hard problem to solve, right? Okay, <laughs> Shimoda. Peanut butter, smooth or crunchy? Or are you one of those monsters who doesn't like peanut butter? No, I love peanut butter. And, oh boy, you know, actually I think it depends a little bit on the format. I love crunchy peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but I really like smooth peanut butter in my with chocolate, right? If I was going to have a chocolate bar with peanut butter, I would want it to be a smooth, creamy peanut butter. So... You know, so I guess maybe a little bit of both, depending on how I'm uh, how I'm eating it. And if I was going to have to have it by the spoonful, then I would want crunchy. Okay. Um, oh yes, did I see the Sandman cult like in the diner episode? Yeah, somebody actually sent me a question about this too. Uh, maybe it was you, Batman's Kiss. I'm not sure, but I have started watching Sandman last night, and I watched the first three episodes. I usually We'll start a series, and I'll just do one episode a night kind of thing if we're sort of binging it. But I really got into it, and I have not read the Sandman comics. I, I remember when they first came out and being interested in them. Um, and I remember a particular line that stuck with me all these years from one of the Sandman comics. I, I can't even remember which one it was. I'm sure the Sandman fans out there will remind me. But there was a line in one of the comics that said there's an old man who keeps the universe in a jar under the stairs. And I just tripped over that entire concept, that entire idea. It just seemed incredibly profound to me for some reason. And um, I never forgot that line. But anyway, I am getting through the Sandman, and I've heard that there's this culty thing going on in it uh, in one of the episodes. So I will comment on that after I have a chance to watch it. Um, okay, Gurur, will you be doing a deep dive of Danny Masterson before the trial? Um, I'm not sure how much of a deep dive there is to do, Gurur. I mean, Tony Ortega has reported in such extensive detail that I really feel I would just be cribbing from him. If I were to make a video about it, I would pretty much just be reading Tony's articles out loud because he's done such a championship job of explaining the whole Masterson clan and saga and situation and the, the victims who have come forward and their stories and the fair gaming that's happened to them. And so I, I, I don't know. I feel a little bit like I'm... I don't know. I, I, and if I'm wrong on this, or if you guys think I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm out to lunch or something, go ahead and tell me. I, I don't mind. I'm, I'm not trying to insist I'm right in this, but I just feel like I'd be sort of stealing his thunder a little bit going into that that deeply when he's already done all the hard work on it. Um, I'm happy to talk about Danny Masterson, and I have uh, at length on earlier shows and I also on our um, I think on my Friday shows, we've gotten into him a little bit. And I, you know, I know a little bit. I saw reports on him when I was in Scientology. So I have personal knowledge of the fact that he was an out ethics, off the rails Scientology celebrity. And I learned a little bit about how when I was still in Scientology, the celebrities really do get a pass. They really do not have the same rules applied to them. And they live in a different world. 
That was made very clear to me, just seeing the reports and, and hearing about some of the escapades that, you know, go on coming out of the president's office of Celebrity Center International, which is the celebrity handling division of Scientology. It's the president's office. And um, so I know a little bit about that stuff, but I, I, but I never worked at Celebrity Center, and I, so I don't know how personal of a deep dive I could do on it. I just try to contribute what I know and let people know from my perspective as an ex-Sea Org member and ex-Scientologist that Danny Masterson was a really rotten Scientologist who got away with whatever he wanted to, including drugs and sex and booze and partying and all the rest, even as a Scientologist. And he was really a pretty cut-rate second you know, rate sort of Scientologist. I mean, other than, you know, pimping Dianetics once or twice and showing up for some Christmas stories at Celebrity Center, he really didn't do much. You know, he really wasn't on anybody's radar as an active, proactive Scientologist. And most of those um, promotions that he did of Dianetics or statements or quotes that he made or showing up at those Christmas stories was very likely amends that he was doing. That's this conjecture on my part, but he was probably in ethics trouble all the time. And so they made him do these PR functions and, and appearances and stuff so as to make up the damage for, you know, going around and, and being a disreputable Scientology VIP. Um, I don't know. I hope all that makes sense. But that's, that's about as... That's about as deep as I know how to go into it from my own personal knowledge, but I'm happy to, um, to do a show on it if you guys uh, feel that would be warranted or, or useful. Okay. Um, oh, thank you on our new doggy. Yes, uh, we are definitely enjoying uh, our little Benson. He's, he's wild, man. I'll tell you, there is one thing we did not anticipate in getting a rescue dog is trying to house train him. Uh, it's hard. We are having a real hard time with that. He is. He knows he is. Uh, just to just to share this with everybody, he knows. He knows he's supposed to go outside, but he is. But he refuses to go in the backyard. He he will only go. You know when we take him out on walks, and that is very frustrating because we want him to get going in the backyard. So anyway, been a lot of a lot of lost sleep over trying to figuring that out or or working with him on that. But otherwise, we. <laughs> I just love him to death. He's so adorable. Okay. Um, oh, my, hey, hon. You really don't like that peanut butter, huh? Okay. Um, Raymond, do you think there's a chance Donald Trump will run for president again? Um, yes, I do think there's a chance that he would if he can. Um, but we'll see if he even is eligible to at the rate things are going right now. I, you know, I don't like to predict the future when it comes to Donald Trump, though, because um, he is just he's worse than Jimmy McGill, you know, from Better Call Saul. He is just slippery, you know, slippery Jimmy in Better Call Saul. Uh, Trump is Teflon Don. You know, the guy just doesn't he seems to just have this superpower of being able to avoid ever having to take any responsibility for any consequences of his actions. It's it's a superpower as far as I can tell. Um, I, I don't know how he gets away with it. I, I really, truly don't. It's it's almost one wonders if the fates aren't laughing at all of us uh, with this guy because he is so outrageously criminal. He's so bald-faced, openly criminal, and no one seems to care. You know, it just it, his followers just give him a pass over and over and over again. It's worse than Scientology. I mean, it's just, it's... It's horrifying to watch, knowing, you know, all the things we talk about on my channel. 
and watching that play out so openly in the public forum in the United States, it's, it's horrifying to me. So, you know, do I think there's a chance? Yeah, I, of course I think there's a chance. But um, a good chance? I hope not. I truly hope not. If Donald Trump's elected president again, this country is for it. It's just I just don't think we're going we're gonna to make it if he does. Um, that's, my, that's my opinion. But whatever, you asked. <laughs> uh, okay, um, moving right along here. Got some good questions coming in, you guys. Um, okay, Zachary Antle, uh, do you think Scientology could ever be reformed into a group that's actually positive and helpful? No, I do not. Um, I, I have made a video where I have talked about how Scientology could be made significantly less harmful or destructive by removing the OT levels, by uh, uh, vacating the Office of Special Affairs and just removing that from the operation, uh, basically taking the confidential level stuff out of Scientology because that's where things really get insane. The OT level auditing that we've talked about and how, how destructive and narcissist creating it is. Um, if not psycho, is psychosis inducing. I mean, it's really bad stuff. The auditing in Scientology is bad for you. And I didn't really know that until I did my own, literally did my own research on it. And I don't mean watching YouTube videos. I mean researching the lectures. Part, part of my education was diving into the coercive control framework of auditing. And it's bad. So, um, so at all levels, it's, it's not good for you, but the, uh, the confidential level stuff and the fanaticism and extremism connected with that is, is where things really go off the rails in Scientology. So if you wanted a kinder, gentler Scientology, you would have to cancel disconnection, get rid of OSA, get rid of the confidential stuff, and then you basically would have on your hands a fairly low-grade you know, minimally destructive self-help group, you know, um, is pretty much what you'd have on your hands there. Uh, going clear is a fantasy. There is no such thing as the state of clear because there's no such thing as a reactive mind. So, you know, so that's a bit of a fantasy state. Um, and it really would only work, the lower level auditing would really only work uh, produce results, in other words, on people that they felt were actually satisfying and helpful to them on a very small percentage of people, you know, because Scientology auditing is based on, and Dianetics auditing is based on psychoanalysis, abreaction therapy, and hypnosis. That's basically the three component parts of Scientology auditing, and that those, those methods only work on so many people. They're not universally applicable or, or helpful or cathartic methodologies, so um, or or treatment modalities, if you want to call them. And hypnosis is, you know, uh, it, when it's covertly done, it's nothing but destructive, and that's what's going on in Scientology auditing. Is it's covert hypnosis. You're not being informed of what's going on and what they're doing to you. You're being told it's an entirely different thing that's being done to you. So that's why I say any level of auditing is actually not good for you. Um, but that's, those are my points as far as what it would take to reform Scientology so that you truly had a kinder, gentler Scientology. Maybe, maybe empty out the Sea Org. I might, I might add that, right? Take out that extremist full-time 24-7 save the world mindset. That's, that's for the birds. They, nobody needs that. 
Okay. <laughs> Shimoda. Okay, good. Hey, I like it when you guys put my name in front of the questions, by the way. It really helps draw my attention to the, the questions being asked here. So if you want to do that, I'd appreciate it. Stephanie MC asks, have you considered doing a where are they now or how are they doing with some of your former guests? Um, not really. Um, I mean, I've checked back in with or I'm friends with almost everybody who's been on my show in one degree or another. Um, in terms of the ex-Scientologists, at least, you know, but, um, you know, some people change and move on and don't want to talk about it anymore. Other people want to talk about it, but they don't want to talk about it with me anymore for whatever reason. Um, you know, different things. So, sure. I mean, if there's somebody specifically that you'd like to see or hear more about or know what happened to them or whatever, but some people just have kind of moved on from it. And so I don't go try to rile them up or or bring them back on if they're not interested. So that's that's a factor too. Because you do see some people come back onto my show, you know, even years later. Um, yeah, no, that's what I can say about that, I guess. Former guests. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Dorte, all right. Uh, important question. Which do you prefer, heat wave or comfortable temperatures? Uh, uh, clearly, I think I would say comfortable temperatures because they're by definition comfortable. <laughs> Don't like heat waves. I never have. I will take the heat over the cold. I had an incredibly bad experience when I was uh, hiking in the snow with Boy Scouts as a child, and I uh, definitely do not enjoy it when it is too cold. Um, yes, we are very happy Neil Gaiman is no longer... A Scientologist. He was for a while, for a long time. He was raised in it, and he um, was a highly trained Scientologist. Uh, but he skipped right out of that, and good on him for doing so. Um, my dog's favorite uh, toy and food. We, he's got these beef sticks, these these long beef sticks. He loves chomping on those things. We we give him those as a reward. Um, Let's see, <laughs> you guys. Sonic or Mario? Mario. Played a lot more Mario than I have Sonic. Um, okay. Oh, if you show up, Jew Martins, on Friday night's live show, uh, we do Benson Cam, just like we used to do 7 Cam. And you can see our little doggo uh, every week. We take, we take some footage of him and show it to you guys so you can see how he's doing. Um Okay, let's see here. Um, yeah, fair enough, Gurror. Fair enough on the uh, on the deep dive on Danny Masterson. Um, fair enough. I, I probably will do some work on that. You're you you you're not wrong there. Um, oh, nobody home here asks. Can you distinguish what techniques, hypnosis, question mark, that brings about euphoria highs that keep coming, keep people coming back for those highs? Um, it's actually kind of, there's a couple different things going on. I mean, let's, let's be clear that, uh, that auditing is a multi-layered process. There is, there is personal intent. There is uh, desires and goals. There are 
social pressures, and there is the coercive control framework of the auditing session itself. And all of these are factors as to what's going on with a person. And then there's the person's memory, ability to remember things, personal trauma and stress that they bring into the session, and um, how they understand trauma and how they understand anxiety or depression. Because these are terms, for example, that are not used in Scientology. They eschew this stuff that, oh, that's all those, just that psych stuff. And they generalize it all as charge or your case. And, and they don't go into the specifics of depression, anxiety, PTSD, stress, etc. They just glom it all together and call it charge. And then they charge you a great deal of money to relieve it. Um, so it re- so there's a lot going on because people bring a lot with them into an auditing session and how they interpret what's happening to them has a great deal to do with the results that they get. And so um, you have people who will go into an auditing session and just grind and grind and grind because they because it's not really addressing their problem or their issue even if it's even if they are going over and over and over some traumatic episode it's not releasing it's not popping for them it doesn't there's no relief then another person will go in and deal with some or, or or come up with some stressful or traumatic episode in their lives and by talking about it a few times they release from it. They pop. It goes, oh, wow, I, I, I realized something about that I didn't realize before. And one of the things I think is happening there, one of many potential things that's happening there, is, um, is an awareness of one's responsibility in that episode of trauma or stress. And I don't mean that it's all your fault. I mean you re-evaluate re, re- your responsibility or your position in that traumatic episode from a new perspective. And not necessarily from a Scientology, you're responsible for everything that ever happened to you. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that sometimes by re-experiencing or reviewing past experiences we've had. Sorry if you heard that. Very loud car outside. Um... By reviewing this or reimagining or re-experiencing these things, you can remember things you'd forgotten. And that will put a new light on it. You go, oh, wow, I'd forgotten about that. Jenny was there. Wow, you know. Or, oh, sure, this happened. A lot of that has to do with memory and how good your memory is or your memory, um, well, has to do with that, right? Um, And or are you potentially reimagining it so that you're actually reconstructing the memory in a way that it's different than it actually happened. And maybe that provides you some degree of relief or stress uh, or de-stressing, right? If it does, great, but it's not necessarily because you remembered it exactly as it happened. You you, You reimagined it, and in your reimagining of it, you remove any responsibility from from it or you inject responsibility into it and that either way that can be powerful that can be an interesting and and sometimes cathartic experience for people and like i said it's multi-layered there's other factors too so 
I, I'm not trying to endlessly, hopelessly complicate this. I'm just trying to say that people are complicated. And therapy for people is is very individual for them. And Scientology and Dianetics are the exact opposite of that. They try to sort of assembly line the therapeutic process by saying it's a one-size-fits-all kind of process. And it's not. It's doing different things to different people. It's not a one-size-fits-all situation. No therapy is. And so that's why it's a little hard to answer the question in simplistic terms. I want to be honest with you guys and tell you everything I'm thinking about when I talk about auditing because it's, it's kind of a, well, it's kind of complicated. <laughs> so, um, so, that's, so that's why I try to break it down into saying, well, there's, you know, there's, a, there's kind of a, a crush of different things happening there. And there are different, it's, a, it's sort of a crush of different um, techniques that are utilized. And let's also not forget that Scientology auditing has about 10 different mainline approaches to dealing with stress, trauma, charge. There's different techniques, very different one from another from another. So it's not, so again, when we talk about auditing, it's hard to even generalize all auditing into, you know, this one big thing. And uh, I don't know. I hope that you let me know if that answers or even approaches answering your question. But that's, uh, those are my thoughts on it right off. Um, moving right along here, I saw somebody, okay, there we go. There's a super chat. I, th I Thank you, Ryan, for that. I've read some of the space opera stuff. Did Hubbard make any notable predictions about the future? Clearly, he didn't see the internet coming. Um, hmm. Hubbard sort of specialized in creating uncertainty about the future. That was kind of one of his things, is you create this sort of keeping everybody in suspense all the time or keeping people afraid or fearful or, or in a state of uncertainty about the future so that they will continue to invest their resources in your cause to, to prevent that uncertain future from happening and, and create a good future. Right? We were told continuously in Scientology that, you know, we only have five years. We only have so many years. We don't know, you know, there was never any dates set. Don't get me wrong. But we, because he would always leave it open-ended. But he would say things like, you know, oh, wow, you know, if it wasn't for us, the, the, the planet would have already torn itself apart. And we're the only thing keeping civilization actually going and surviving. And if we don't make it, there is no future for everybody. And, it, and it's more, Scientology is geared more toward that kind of thinking and that kind of propaganda than it is about future predictions. I don't remember any actual predictions Hubbard made about the future. Um, he wasn't really doing that shtick. He was doing a scare the shit out of you and keep you in that terror state so that you'll keep working and keep your nose to the grindstone and not think too much and not ask too many questions. And it's, it's more that thrust as far as my experience of Scientology goes. Maybe other exes might have something else to say on that, but that's, um, that's my answer on that. So thank you uh, for that, Ryan. Appreciate the super chat. Um, 
Okay, somehow I keep missing this um, from Hey Hun. What what am I missing, Hey Hun? Backing up here. Let me see if I can find it. Saw your thing on peanut butter. I'm not sure what I missed there. Sorry. Going to keep going down and see what I can do to find all the questions here. Um, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, we talked about Alex Jones on the, on the Friday show. I'm, I'm pleased as punch that Alex Jones is finally seeing some justice. I really am, and I hope uh, that he is, uh, I hope that he continues to receive his just rewards. Um, am I cool with Gary Busey being on the TV show so you think you can dance? I, I Honestly, I don't care, to be honest with you. Gary Busey is a very sad individual. Um, Okay, Raymond, how long can you last in Scientology as a parishioner without spending a single dollar? Um, you can't. You're not going to last in Scientology for, for longer than a few days uh, going into an org and not giving them any money. They're not interested. Um, Scientology is about making the able more able, coding for getting money from those who have it. So, yeah. Um, how can Scientologists even believe there's millions of Scientologists now? There's never anybody in the orgs ever anymore. What does Scientology do to quantify that? Hire actors. Uh, Gur Roar, no, they don't have to hire actors, although they do for their promo pieces uh, and for their videos now. But um, it, people can believe anything. I mean, we've been over this, right? People can believe anything, and they will if they're emotionally invested enough in it that they have to. And, um, I mean, how do people believe Donald Trump is an honest person? Because they're emotionally invested in him. That's why. You know, and same thing with Scientology. Um, okay. Uh, I did not watch Colonia Digandad, a sinister sect on Netflix. No, I have not watched that. Um, no, I would not go to a Creed concert, Red Pill. Um have I, Zachary, have I ever heard of the Final Fantasy VII cult? It's an insane rabbit hole in internet history. I think you'd be fascinated by, okay, good, I'll have to check it out. No, I've not heard anything about the Final Fantasy VII cult. Um, okay. Okay, so, hey, hon, I see you complaining about me not seeing your questions, um, but I have not yet seen your question. That's what I keep looking for, and I'm not finding it. Okay, I see your earlier comments, but I do not see you asking me a question three separate times up until that point. I keep going back earlier, so just keep trying. I'm getting to them as fast as I can here. Um, okay, got it on Tori Chrisman. We will see about that. Um, okay, Red Pill, your questions are just so funny. Um Okay, da 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 d d d Jane Standen. I'd love to see more interviews with Mark Bunker. Suspect he's being very cautious now. He's on Clearwater Council, what he says and to who, but his views... Yes, I would like to get Mark Bunker back on the show for sure. I will 
reach back out to him and see if he wants to give us an update episode on uh, his activities in Clearwater. Um, I'd think hamburger-flavored smoothies are disgusting. Thanks for asking, Red Pill. Um, <laughs> roar. Um, what's the end phenomena of the superpower building? What do they do? What do they tell you you're going to achieve by running around the light pole? Enlightenment. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the EP of the uh, cause resurgence rundown, the running around the light pole. I don't, I don't know what the EF, I don't know if I was ever told what the EP of that is. All uh, right. Uh, moving right along. Uh, okay. Yes. Keep trying. Hey, hon. I do see you here. I've, I see your, I see every one of your comments complaining that I'm not getting your question, but I don't see your question. Uh, I'm at the end of the comments here now as to where we're at. I've caught up. So, um, no, there's no, uh, no plans for a play date between Benson and Aaron's dog. Uh, you guys, um, Okay. Thank you for that super chat, Gururur. I am not familiar with Kenya, the Australian self-help group. Based on Scientology, is it a squirrel group? Interesting. Okay. Um, running around a pole, exactly. All right. So, did I miss anything? No, I think I've got, I think I've got everything up to date here. Yeah, no, it's not I'm not seeing it. I swear to God, I am not trying to gaslight you, Hayhan. I really am not. I am I am just not seeing it here. I'm going up and down in the comments. Um, but keep them coming in, guys, uh, because uh, I think I've answered everything so far. Yeah, just kind of slowly moving up the line here. Yeah, somebody copy paste her question, please. This is this is really frustrating. Um, just oh, the Excal okay Excalibur. Okay, the missing question is about why they won't release Excalibur. Okay, okay, so um. Let's let's see if Hey Hun puts the full question in there. Yeah. Um somebody cut paste the entire question. I don't remember I, I there's why they won't release Excalibur. Um Excalibur was a manuscript that I don't think L. Ron Hubbard wanted released. And I don't and I think that's why it hasn't been. He owned it. He had it. It was, in his, it was in his archives. As far as I know, I've been told that there is a complete copy, maybe more than one, in the L. Ron Hubbard archives at Gold Base or wherever it is that they store Hubbard's stuff. Um, the Excalibur manuscript was very controversial. Hubbard wrote it back in 38, and it was weird. There's, um, that's the only way I can kind of describe it is it's weird. The only thing we really have of it are there's two things. There is a chapter supposedly taken from it 
on the topic of education that I believe is in one of the Ron mags. And I'd have to go verify that. I did, so don't totally quote me on that. But I remember when I was in Scientology, there was a Ron the Educator magazine published. And in that publication was a, a slice of, or an article, that, that they said had been taken from Excalibur, which really excited me because it is the only thing I'd ever seen out of Excalibur when I was in Scientology. Hubbard mentions it a few times, and he says that while the book had a lot of the forerunner or there's a precursor to Dianetics and Scientology, it never had any therapy or, or treatment model in it. And so it was really only a theoretical kind of work uh, or an academic kind of work. I'm using those words. Hubbard did not. He just said it was it was something that had the the ideas, but it didn't have the solutions, and that that's what Dianetics and Scientology developed to become, or the solutions to the problem, not just the problem. Um, I, I don't know how much truth there is in any of that, but that's kind of what you can glean from Hubbard's quotes on the topic. And he said also that most of the material that was in Excalibur has been released in the materials of Dianetics and Scientology already. So that's why I think it was Hubbard's decision to not release it as its own work, but instead to just call it, you know, no, it's just in Dianetics and Scientology and you guys just get that. And you don't, don't worry about Excalibur. It was kind of a, you know, it, it was a thing, and I wrote it, and there's all this mystique around it because he said the Russians tried to steal it from him, and, you know, there was all this controversy about it. And, it, and he, he talked about it as the, he, that this is the book where he gives the two-dimensional worm analogy versus a three-dimensional, right, where he talks about that analogy of a, if you had a two-dimensional worm hit a, hit a pole, a three-dimensional pole, it wouldn't recognize it or know what it was. It would just know there's this barrier there. But if it could somehow realize that there was a third dimension and start going up that pole, then it would get out of its two-dimensional prison. And he said that's the effect that Excalibur has on people when they read it, is it sends them up the pole. That was the, the terminology that he used. And I'm literally telling you right now just about everything I know about this book, <laughs> other than what I wrote about in my own book on, the, on it, uh, where I quoted from a man named Arthur J. Burks, who was Hubbard's, I think it was Hubbard's literary agent, and he had read it, and he talked about it, and, and there was an article where he talked about it. Um, so that's all we know on that book and on that topic. Um, so there we go with that. Yeah, hey, and I really did not want to, uh, you know, appear to gaslight you on that. I just don't see your question in the, in the comments here, and I kept looking for it. Um, okay, so other other people are saying that too. Um, red pill. Uh, interesting question. What's the difference between magic and illusion? Um, for me, as I understand it, magic is supposed to have a supernatural element to it and is supposed to be based in um, some kind of, you know, metaphysical reality and drawing energy or resources from that reality to uh, enact one's will or intent in the real world here, um, in the natural world, you could say. Whereas illusion is a trick. It's a, it's a trick of perception and deception. You're fooling somebody's 
by by altering or messing with their perceptions, and that's an illusion. Uh, as I understand it, that's how I would differentiate those terms. Yeah, all three times have gone, exactly. They're just bizarre. I've never had that happen in a Q&A before. It's really quite strange. Um, what do Scientologists, Noam Sane asks, what do Scientologists think about optical illusions like peripheral drift? They love it. They, they think about uh, or don't care about it, the same as anybody else. There's no special Scientology take on optical illusions. Um, you know, some people can see the sailboat and some people can't. <laughs> it's kind of how that goes. Um, huh, interesting question, Gurror. If L. Ron Hubbard never managed to get Scientology off the ground, what do you think he would have been doing? Science fiction went out of fashion for a while, selling insurance. Um, he would have gone on to some other grift. You know, a little impossible to say what the grift would have been. I mean, after tanking Dianetics, let's say, because you asked if Scientology never got off the ground. So let's say Dianetics happened and then went nowhere and Scientology went nowhere. Um, he always could have fallen back on writing, but Hubbard was playing such the victim before, uh, you know, whining to the VA about his disability for years and years and always just grifting off of people. So I don't know what the nature of his grift would have been following Scientology. It could have been an endless number of things in post-World War II America where Hubbard uh, shilled off of radiation uh, and the atomic uh, Cold War issues and the paranoia surrounding that, or uh, vitamins and supplements or commies or, you know, Hubbard could have gone in any direction at all with his grifts. Um, but be assured that he would have continued to try to grift people out of money and resources because that's, that's what he was about. Um. Okay, let's see here. Okay, Phil Anderson asks about an unbiased news site. As uh, mom's big fan of MSNBC, I uh, don't care for the slanted outlook on politics. I agree. I think that cable news has sold its soul for clicks and advertising revenue. And um, I, I don't really support any uh, cable news major uh, streaming news network at this point. Um, you know, NPR, um, there, are, there are analyses of news sites out there where you can find fact-checked, reasoned news stories. Um, AP, Direct, right? Um, there's a lot of European news stations, by the way. There's an outfit out of France. I think it's like France 24 or something. I, I can't remember the name of it, but I was impressed by the objectivity that they brought to the news desk. Uh, they just tell you what happened, and they tell you about stuff that happened all over the world, not just in the United States or in your local area. So I tend to go in that direction. Uh, the BBC is pretty good news for anything not reporting on the U.K. They're, they get kind of biased when it comes to U.K. reporting. Um, but, uh, but they're pretty good for inter international stuff. Um, Hell, Algeria, Al Jazeera news is not bad for some things, you know. If you want some uh, some real critical takes on on United States foreign policy, you know, you can look at some of that stuff. Um, 
so a, a variety, you know, I think really, you know, at the end of the day, it's not a matter of, you know, what news source should I be looking at? It's you should be looking at all of them, uh, but you should be watching all of them with a critical eye, with a skeptical eye, you know, okay, this is what you're telling me. Good. I've noted that that is what MSNBC said. Now let's go see what you know, Fox had to say about that. Oh, okay, Fox had the exact opposite thing to say about that. Well, that's interesting. Well, what did NPR have to say about that? Oh, well, that's interesting because that's actually what happened. And then here's the spin and here's the spin. And you kind of look at the whole thing together and you go, okay, here's what occurred and here's the spin on it. And if you can kind of get that view of any event at all, uh, whether it's a political rally or a disaster uh, situation or, you know, a shooting or whatever. And the other thing about the news that is unfortunate in our times is that you cannot ever, ever, ever rely on breaking news to tell you the truth about anything. It's breaking. They don't have all the data yet. And so how can they possibly tell you whether it's good, bad, right, wrong, upside down or upside or right side up? They can't. They have no idea themselves. They're just telling you about an event that occurred. And, they, and as the information comes in, it usually takes weeks on any major news story before you actually get the full picture. So the other thing that we are really trapped in with the way we consume media and the news is we are in short attention span theater where we have to make a decision for some stupid reason about the relative value of this news story compared with our ideology or our social groups and social standings. And we have to do it right away. We have to have a hot take. We have to have a hot take. And it's like, why? Why can't you just let it develop? Let it play out. Watch what happens. When you go back and look at major news stories, months after the fact, a year after the fact, and you have all the facts available to you, you quickly see what a fool's errand it is and how stupid we are for falling into that short attention span theater where we have to have, you know, some hot take on it right away. Um, I, I can't stress that enough. That's, that's kind of important to me. Um, okay. So, moving right along. I hope that answered the question, Phil. <laughs> um, okay. Yes. Thank you very much, folks, for confirming Hayhun is not going mad. Um, <laughs> Shimoda. Okay. Yes, uh, Raymond, Scientology books are available in public libraries in the United States. Um, it depends on the library as to whether they want them or not, but Scientology has quite literally sent their books to almost every library in the U.S. Uh, what the libraries did with them is another story, but Scientology definitely did make that effort. Um, yes, I have seen the Scientology Twitter account, uh, Harry's Boy. Yes, barely anyone ever interacts with it, which is uh, bad publicity. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, yeah, they, no, they don't try to get bots on Twitter. Uh, I actually follow the Scientology account. They haven't caught on yet that I'm following them now uh, and blocked me yet. Um, <laughs> red pill. Uh, would I read a book about someone's experience working the front desk and maintenance at a sleazy Motel 6? I, I, I ain't got time for that. No, I would not read that book. Um, 
Do I think that with Alex Jones's verdict that Fox News will start toning down the conspiracy theories that they constantly peddle? Um, yes, on certain topics. Fox News, as I understand it, has been taken to task for some of their voter fraud rhetoric, which was quite alarmist and uh, really, really um, not good. Not good journalism, not... not Really, no journalistic ethics being um, demonstrated there when you start questioning the very foundation on which you know our country is built and and saying loud and proud that voter fraud is a thing and that the president was denied you know his election, Trump here, uh, that kind of stuff. And here I'm talking more about rather than the Fox News desk, I'm talking more about the Fox editorial desk, right? the the madhouse, crazy people who are given a microphone every night on that channel. Um, to say whatever they want, and it and it's really the height of journalistic, uh, the lack of journalistic integrity on that channel that those people spew the things that they spew. Um, I think that being called on the carpet and sued, uh, you know, over some of that rhetoric uh, definitely toned down some of that rhetoric. But Fox News makes its money and gets its views by saying outrageous, stupid things. So don't expect them to change their business model midstream. They're not going to. They're all about that, and, um, and they're not going to stop until somebody stops them. Um, that's Rupert Murdoch's legacy, and he is, a, as far as I'm concerned, scumbag of the universe. So uh, that's what we get you know, when we empower people like that and feed that beast is we get you know, uh, really bad stuff. Um. No, I, I wouldn't say he's, I wouldn't say Alex Jones. Guru asked, would you say Alex Jones is a good modern day equivalent to L. Ron Hubbard? No, I'd say Donald Trump is uh, more so, although not on the same purpose line. We actually talked about this also on Friday. I really hope you guys are checking out the Friday shows, by the way, even if uh, on repeat. We, we really get into some good stuff on those call-in shows. Um, Okay, thank you, uh, Nerman, for, for that. Um, yeah, unbiased is impossible to find. Most accurate news sources are going to be an amalgamation of news sources, really, seriously. No one journal uh, or newspaper or blogger or website or whatever is going to have the full picture. Uh, it just They just kind of, they, they can't really, you know. They can present a lot of objective information, but um, you know, but you know, you're not going to get the whole backstory, for example, of of major events. And oftentimes, there's very interesting backstory stuff like that. So it really is you kind of got to watch a lot of them. Okay. Um, Yes, Scientologists are allowed to watch Magnolia, Tim. Um, that just because Paul Thomas Anderson made The Master doesn't mean they canceled all of Paul Thomas's Anderson's uh, movies or anything like that. If Tom Cruise is in it, people can watch it in Scientology. I mean, you know, that's kind of a kind of, yeah, of course they can. Um, okay. Da, 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 da. Yeah, exactly, Shimoda. As as someone living in the UK, the BBC is often quite biased with UK news topics, especially political ones. BBC World is generally okay, though. Yeah, that's I, I Brits telling me that is how I picked that that up. 
Um, uh, yeah, all the networks are blowing smoke. I agree with you, Red Pill, on that. I really do. Um, okay. Did I ever see the early 90s drama Wild Palms? Similar in Twin Peaks. Um, oh, with a damning portrayal of a fictional version of Scientology. No, I, I did not see that. Uh, interesting. I, I clearly am behind on all of my cult watching. <laughs> Too busy producing content uh, to watch all this stuff. I wish I could. Um, yes. Okay, good. Good, Phil. I'm glad you were satisfied with that answer. Uh, no, Red Pill, I don't think Tom Cruise does a lot of cocaine. He's high on life. <laughs> I do not think Tom Cruise does drugs. All right. And I think I caught up with everything. And I think we have been at this for an hour. So I think we're going to start wrapping up here. Um, and let's just see here. Perfect. Yeah, caught up. Okay, good. So thank you very much for coming around. Uh, thank you, Ryan, for that super chat. And uh, anybody else wants to support the channel, uh, that would be great because it is entirely funded by my critics. That all being said, uh, thanks for coming around this week. And uh, watch Friday. We'll have our call-in show. And I think you guys will like the, um, well, we'll see what the podcast is this next week. Anyway, thanks for coming around. I'll see you guys soon. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye.